Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. Today we are in the book of Revelation, and we are going to begin in Revelation chapter 13 for the next series of subjects and topics that we will look at in this chapter. Welcome to you, and thank you for tuning in. May God bless you today. I want to begin by reading Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 and discuss those today in a little bit of introductory detail. Revelation chapter 13 verse 1 says this, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. We want to stop the reading there today and begin the discussion of these people, these personages that are presented to us in Revelation chapter 13, because it's very important that we understand more about these. And so today we just are going to begin to do a brief introduction to this first character. He is called the beast. He is called the beast who rises out of the sea. So let's look introductorily at who this is talking about, what's going on, and what does the Bible tell us. For today's lesson, we will pretty much just stay here in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, and look at the details here with a few other scriptures intermingled that we will look at as well. But in the next episode, we will look back into the scriptures to understand a good bit more about this beast. Remember, we are still here in chapter 13 in the narrative portion of some of these chapters Remember, these narrative portions in Revelation describe things and people and events that develop or happen during the chronological part of the tribulation. So we're sort of outside of the chronology right now, understanding a lot of the factors that come to play in the chronology. And so when we get through the end of these narrative sections, we will go back and then fit these things into the chronology so that we can have that continual flow and understand it. Chapter 13 primarily describes people that are involved in this tribulation period, and it focuses primarily on two primary human beings here. 
two primary people. Now, if you'll remember in chapter 12, we saw three personages referred to there. The first one was the woman, which was Israel and the Jew or the Jewish people, the male child, which was Jesus, and the dragon, who is Satan or the devil. He is now fallen. He was created as an angel, rebelled against the Lord, was cast out of heaven, and now is fallen along with one third of the angels that fell with him who are now demonic forces. And they are the princes of darkness, the rulers of the dark realm. They are not human, however. The devil is not human. But now we will see him employing and using two primary humans that will rise in power during this last half of the tribulation. And we are told some of the details about those here. And we will look at other places where we are told more as well. The first of these primary humans that Satan will employ and most likely even possess to do his bidding, the first one, and this will be the one we will discuss over the next probably two possibly three episodes before we get to the second one. But the first one is simply called the beast. This is the Greek word that talks about a ravenous, savage type beast. One who would mutilate and devour its prey. That's who this is talking about. In other places in scripture, he is referred to as the Antichrist particularly in John's epistle. John recognizes him as the Antichrist, this beast. Antichrist simply means one in the place of Christ. He's opposed to Christ, yes, in his philosophy, in his whole nature, but he is really coming in the place of Christ. He's almost a pseudo-Messiah, pseudo-Christ, or the false Messiah. He is an imposter. He is the imposter who is rising up at this time. He pretends to be Christ. Jesus actually prophesied about him and his coming, saying that he would come in his own name. I'd like for us to read that in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 41. It says this, I do not receive honor from men. This is Jesus speaking here. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe? who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees here. Earlier in this passage, he says, you're searching the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me. And so right here, Jesus is prophetically telling them somebody else is going to come claiming to be the Messiah 
He's going to come as the pseudo-Messiah, as an imposter, claiming to be me. He will say he's the Messiah. He'll come in his own name, and him you're going to receive. Me, you rejected. The real Messiah, you rejected. But him, you will receive. Jesus is speaking of this coming beast, this coming Antichrist. John gives us certain details here in Revelation in these first five verses. So I want to basically look at those today and tie in a few other places from the scriptures as this form of introduction. So we learn here that he rises out of the sea. Now, the reference to the sea here would be the Mediterranean Sea. But most scholars believe that this sea might represent a mass of humanity. Possibly someone rising, a human being rising to this position of power, and possibly from the Mediterranean region. He's going to come out of the old, revised perhaps, Roman Empire. Now, we'll get into this a little bit more in a coming episode. But if you'll remember, in Daniel's prophetic books, Daniel spoke of the coming empires, and the Roman Empire was one of those. And actually, Nebuchadnezzar saw it in his dream, and he saw the dream of the statue. Go back and read that in Daniel chapter 2, if you'd like to. And Daniel comes and interprets that dream, but it's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of this statue. And in the statue, if you'll remember, the statue had two legs of iron. And this was representing the Roman Empire, which divided into the East and the West divisions. So this beast is going to rise either from the Western Roman Empire side or from the Eastern Roman Empire side, but he will come from the Roman Empire. John tells us here that as he's watching this develop, what he sees is that this beast has seven heads and ten horns that each have diadems on them, these crowns, these diadems. He also has a blasphemous name on the seven heads. It's interesting because it says a blasphemous name. So I'm assuming that it is the same name on all seven uh, in this vision. Now we don't know all of what this means, but John is describing it as he's seeing it. So this beast has a blasphemous name. We are not told what that name is, so we could only speculate and we do not want to go beyond what is written. However, it may associate with him pretending to be Messiah in some way. That's all that I will say about that. In other words, he is an imposter. He is the fake, false Messiah. He is a liar, and he's empowered by the father of lies himself. He is a perjurer. He is claiming to be deity. He is claiming to be the Messiah, God, Christ. He is blasphemous, spewing blasphemies. He has horns, and these horns represent symbols of governmental 
and or political power and prestige, control. These diadems, these crowns that are given are just in recognition of that. Now, John says that he was like a leopard, had feet like a bear, and a mouth like a lion. Now, we may look at these again in the next episode as we look at some things from the Old Testament. But I do want to just point out this. We know that the devil is the one who's giving him his power. And I just want to correlate one scripture passage in the New Testament that I'm reminded of when I read this. And it is found in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, that's definitely representative of the devil, and I believe it will also represent the type of person that the devil will empower here in this beast. He will be seeking to devour, seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, just like Satan, who is giving him that power. The dragon is the one who establishes him the one who raises him up, the one who is responsible for his rise to power. The dragon, Satan himself, gives or supplies, bestows upon him. It actually includes also that he is the author and originator of this power for this beast. So the dragon, Satan himself, gives him power. That's dunamis, might. We're talking about supernatural strength and power and might here. The devil himself gives him his power. The devil gives him his throne, or in other words, his seat of authority, his seat of rule and reign and dominion. And the devil himself gives him his great authority. Mega exousia in the Greek. Great privilege, great right to rule and decree, great mastery over the planet. Satan himself is behind this man. I believe he will literally demon possess this man. He will be possessed of the devil. And he is called the son of perdition, There's only one other individual in the scripture that is known and called the son of perdition, and that was Judas Iscariot. And the Bible tells us when Judas went to betray the Lord, Satan entered his heart. Judas was in essence a little type of this coming beast called the son of perdition. I want to read 2 Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to read first verses 1 through 4. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this is speaking of this Antichrist, this beast that we are now talking about that Revelation chapter 13 begins to tell us about. And in Second Thessalonians, he is known as the man of sin and the son of perdition. He is going to be supernaturally empowered from the dark side of all evil, all types of evil, no mercy, pure evil will reign. He appears to have had a mortal wound to the head and that that wound has been healed. Now, we don't understand all of what that means. Perhaps it is more of the lying signs and wonders that he will be allowed to do. Let's look at that in 2 Thessalonians 2 also. Let's go down a few verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse, beginning at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, another name for this beast, same person, this son of perdition, this man of sin, is also called the lawless one. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice here, it's speaking about this coming one, this antichrist, this son of perdition, this man of sin, this lawless one, coming with lying signs and wonders. And the people will believe his lie, those who have not received the love of the truth, that they would be saved. That's the mercy of God even expressed during this time period that God is still trying to reach people with the love of the truth. And we're going to see that and take a look at that again in a coming episode in the future because it's very powerful to understand that. But he is referred to here as the lawless one. He will have lying signs and wonders to deceive the world. He will have no regard for God no regard for true law, no regard for God's law, no regard for law or righteousness. He will have a pure hatred for righteousness. Notice in this passage in Revelation chapter 13, how the world reacts. The Bible tells us here that the world marveled. In other words, they were deceived into this awe and worship at these lying signs and wonders, especially this seeming resurrection that has occurred. 
And they not only marveled, but they followed the beast. In the Greek, it means after or behind. In other words, they are backing him. They're coming behind him. They're in the back of him. They are getting behind him and backing him. It's interesting to contrast that with the true Messiah, Jesus himself, when he came on the scene and called forth his disciples, he said, follow me. I want to be one who is following the real Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and I pray that you do too. But the world at this time, those who reject the love of the truth that they could be saved, they're going to follow him. They're going to back him. They're going to get behind him. Whatever you say, master will do kind of deal. They're going to be backing him and submitting to him. And God is going to give them that strong delusion that they'll believe his lies. And the Bible says that they're going to worship. They're going to worship Satan, the dragon, and they're going to worship this Antichrist, Satan's human representative at that time. They're going to give words that decree this marvel we're told here. Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? As if they're attributing him as a God with a little g, because he is not the real God. In the Old Testament, we hear this type of worship and declaration is for God and God alone, the living God to whom it belongs, the one it is true of when these declarations are made. Let's look at just a few of those scriptures as we begin to draw to a close. I want to first go to Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? It's a rhetorical question. Moses was writing that for us, realizing that no one is like the living God, the true and living God. Next, let's look at Isaiah chapter 46. And I want to read verses 5 through 10. God is speaking here and he says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal? and compare me that we should be alike. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god with a little g. Continuing the reading, they prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place and it stands. From its place it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God is the living God. God is the one who speaks, and it is done. God is the one who hears our prayers. God is the one who answers. And none of these other 
so-called gods with little cheese, can do any of that. No one can liken him to anything or anyone else. And Satan is not his equal or his rival. Not He's not even on the plane with God. One of the Old Testament passages that I glean so much from on this particular topic, and I love this passage because it's somewhat humorous to me, is when the ark of the Lord, representing the presence of the holy God, was captured by the Philistines. And they take it and they put it in their temple with their god, Dagon. And the very next morning, Dagon's on the floor. And they put Dagon back up. Now, now this is, it is futile. It's funny and it's ridiculous that you've got a God that you got to set up on some shelf. You've got a God that can't even see or hear or protect himself. And so you've got God's presence represented by the Ark of the Covenant. And Dagon falls on the floor. So they have to put him, put him back up. So then the next morning they come in. Dagon's back on the floor and broken off. There's pieces of him that are broken off there. I find that quite humorous. In other words, God will not share a shelf with anybody. There's no one that's on equal plane with him. There is none. And he will not share his glory with another. God is God and God alone is God. Let's look now at Isaiah chapter 40. And let's look at verses 18 through 25. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. You see, beloved friend, these declarations, these blasphemous declarations and worship that's being attributed to this beast and to the dragon only belong to the living God, the true and living God. And no one is his equal and no one is like him. God alone deserves worship, but the Christ haters and the Jesus rejecters in the world at this time will fall for the lie, follow the imposter, worship Satan, and worship his representative. These are very dark days that are ahead and decreed for these last three and a half years of the tribulation. We're given the duration of the limited time that this beast will rise and have power. And we're told it will be for 42 months, which is the last three and a half years of this tribulation. This beast is given 
we assume by Satan, but allowed, of course, by God. This mouth speaking great things, in other words, boasts, all kinds of boasts and blasphemies against God. And he is given authority to continue. That's exousia, authority, the right, the privilege to keep on doing his evil with no restraint and no stopping for these 42 months, these last three and a half years of the tribulation. He is working at this time, all forms of evil, but he has a limited time and he knows it because if you'll remember in chapter 12, he has great wrath when he comes down to earth because the Bible tells us he knows his time is short. All hell literally will be unleashed on earth then. Evil will be unleashed at that time with no restraint. He is given this mouth to speak these great and blasphemous things, and he is given authority to continue for this time period without restraint, without being stopped. This evil will be unleashed. Beloved friend, the best way I can leave this message is to encourage you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now today. If you don't know him now, if you don't know for certain that you are born again of the Spirit of the living God, that he has justified you by faith and redeemed you from all of your sins and washed your sins away, and that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, I call out to you right now, wherever you are, and I implore you, as if God were pleading through me, I implore you to come to Jesus. I implore you to call upon him. I implore you to admit that you are a sinner. Confess your sins before him. Ask him to forgive you for your sins right now, wherever you are, and call upon his name and be saved. I want to direct you, read Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Read Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Read Romans chapter 10, where it talks about confessing Him and calling upon His name to be saved. Let faith arise in your heart so that you will call out to Him and get saved today. And if you already know him, I pray that you will be his witness, that you will speak of him, that you will share the gospel, and that you will pray for sinners to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because nobody would want to be alive in these days. This is going to be a very dark time that, that will usher in, ultimately, the kingdom of God coming. But during this time of the tribulation, it's going to be extremely dark and evil. And God doesn't want you to have to go through that. So I ask you to respond to him today. If the spirit of the living God is wooing you, don't neglect that. None of us know if we have another breath left in this life. None of us know when our time is up. So we need to call upon him now and make sure that he is our Lord and Savior. Surrender your life to him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. He will save you. He will set you free from your sins. And he will give you an eternal home in heaven. 
and you will not have to be here during these evil, evil days in that time. Praise be to God. That's available to you now. Take advantage of it. I beg you in Jesus' name. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.